Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hello, fam, and welcome back to another episode of Reclaim Me. I just want to say quickly at the top, thank you so much to everybody that came out to last week's event in Sydney. It was an absolutely amazing evening to meet all of the listeners, to have people come and attend from organisations such as What Were You Wearing and the Survivor Hub, and just to see and meet everybody and get to have a yarn as well after the panel discussion with the amazing panellists. I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who put in uh, a special thank you to Shona Keating, Jared Grice, Harrison James, Shannon Malloy and Sarah Williams. I think it's just an incredible thing to have so many wonderful people around you. And this, again, is why I love this Survivor community so much. And a reminder as well that we do have some limited edition merch that is available via the link in the show notes of this episode and on all of the socials as well. And that's that really cool horny for equality. (laughs) I will say thank you so much again to Harrison James who did the designs for the horny for equality merch that we've got up now. So get your hands on it before it goes. There's not much left. Enough from me. I'm sure you're all on the edges of your seats after where we landed off last week with Kat. So I'm just going to dive straight back into part two. A reminder again that this is part two of the conversation with Kat. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, make sure that you listen to that first. Otherwise, none of this will make sense. Hearing about yours, your experience specifically, but also the mention of your sister through that. I find that so interesting that both of you have ended up in kind of really caring and (laughs) yeah. And I find that so much with people who have had experiences with trauma, um, they end up in, you know, these certain roles. I remember I was speaking with Kim Bergman um, and a number of the survivors surrounding that in Kansas, and they've all ended up as social workers, forensic psychologists, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's childcare practitioners. And, and it's it's interesting sometimes that people who have been through this are actually the best at helping other people in many ways or even just having the empathy and drive to make them very yeah. good at what they do. So. That's really cool. Do you think that do you think that, that had an any kind of impact? And I want to like make it clear as well because I do 
uh, always kind of preface this when I say any of these statements, we're not saying in any way that we're happy about whatever happened. The reason (laughs) that you've ended up where you are, the reason that your sister's ended up where she is. And, and, you know, we can, we can talk about the other people in the family as well, but it's because you've done that. You took the step to cut her out of your life. You took the step to leave. You've taken the step to go to university. These are all things that you've actively done. And those are things that you've positively done to heal yourself. And I just want to make it sure to people that it doesn't sound like I'm saying we're grateful for what happened because the person you are today is despite that person, not because of them. It's because of you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it sucks that my mom can still sit there and take credit for how I turned out. Um, because it's be- in spite of her in a yeah. way, like, um, my four younger siblings still have contact with my mom, but that's on them. If they still want to have her in their lives, that's fine. Maybe they're at different parts of their healing journey. And, and you know, I know that, um, a lot of them have been through a lot of different trauma to what I have. Um, and it's just satisfying in a way. I know it sounds so selfish, but, um, I, I didn't intend to become a teacher. Like I worked in marketing for eight years after I left my sociology, like once I graduated from sociology. And like I worked for a prisoner prisoner's rights advocacy group for a little while, like basically educating prisoners through like freaking pen pal systems about their rights in prison. Wow. And providing them with educational resources. <laughs> Um, the person that I worked with and the others that I worked with were also um, advocates in the court system for those who were mental health um, patients uh, in the prison system um, whose, you know, basic human rights weren't being met. And so it was quite an insightful period of my life. Um, definitely not somewhere where I thought I'd end up. And then after that, uh, I went and did marketing for eight years. <laughs> so I've only been teaching for a year and a half. That's so incredible though, I think as well, like what a journey to go on. Um, And it seems like, yeah, at least in those two separate roles, being the teaching and that kind of advocacy space where you are directly trying to help people. Do you think that that maybe is somewhere that you've gained some pleasure in the last few years in working because of your history? Or do you think that this is just like an evolution of, you know, practice? bit of both um the one thing that i'm really grateful for is being able to engage in trauma informed education and teaching and conversations uh like i said the area that i work in is a low socioeconomic area so it comes with its own complexities and trauma related um uh experiences and so being able to connect with kids knowing their histories not explicitly saying it to them but just being informed on a level that these kids have had similar lives to what i've had and, you know, uh, one or two kids I've said, you know, my, my mum is like yours, you know, like it, you you don't have to end up where you think you're going to end up. And I hope that they can see that there's, I hate the word hope, but that there is an opportunity to not, you know, um, create and perpetuate that intergenerational um, trauma that, you know, my mum has her own and then now I have mine and my sister's trying so hard not to pass that on to her daughters through her communication and the way that she, you know, functions in her family. And, like, fuck, she works so hard for that. Like, it's it's amazing. And, you know, it is in spite of our mother. You know, she doesn't want to be my mum. She, she, she wants to do the opposite. 
And, you know, even she has her days where, you know, it's, oh, I did a total mum thing today. And I think it's her acknowledging that, letting it set process and then letting go of that thought that helps her the most. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, like, for example, the kids that you would be speaking to on that one-to-one level with, that's not patronising to them. Like you're not being patronising. You're speaking to them like an adult. You're speaking to them as a as a fellow person who technically does understand. And you're probably going to be one of the only people, especially adults in their lives, that will speak to them like that. So I can imagine yeah. that being quite a profound thing. And for you to know, be trauma-informed and have probably a better idea of how to help these kids is going to give them the best success in life. Yeah. And- so you know, to be aware of it yourself and your sister, what an amazing thing to pass on to the next generation. Like you've both done so much work on yourselves, you know, to be able to to, (laughs) leave the world a better place though. I mean, you've just had the blueprint of exactly what not to do. If you just do the opposite of that. (laughs) I'll be fine. It's so weird. Like my mom was on track to be a paralegal before she had me. And then she just never went back to work ever, ever again. And was and, and and I think that that might have spurred some things and some resentment towards me, but you know that's speculation in saying that. So <laughs> yeah, and I mean it's a difficult thing, but it's also you know there were other options available. People always have other options once it gets to that point. There's help available, yeah. um, and it sounds like your mother lent into the crisis rather than seeking help and moving away from yeah. it, which has just perpetuated more and more damage throughout time. When you and your sister made the decision to cut off communication, and I'll be quite vulnerable right now and say, you know, I've cut off communication with my family recently. Um, yeah. I don't really know what that's going to look like for me moving forward. I know it's, yeah, it's my 30th birthday and I'm more worried that it's going to cause drama, the fact that I'm not speaking to them because they're going to be angry at me that they can't message me. And that's kind of where my mindset is at. But I I know that for the time being, I've found it incredibly just quiet and soothing (laughs) in my mind. Um, We don't fight like that. It's just something that plagues my mind a lot. And um, yeah, I won't go into that now, but I guess, um, when we speak to people about cutting off family members or being able to step away, it is difficult. But what was your experience when you finally decided and were just like, look, you know what? No. Um, it was really easy for me. Um, I have, like I said, I have ADHD, object permanence. I don't see you. You don't exist. And I'm kind of grateful for that. But there, you know, there were times before that where most of my family members had cut off my mother, but I still had contact. Uh, My 21st birthday, she actually called me crying on my 21st birthday party day about the fact that she can't come to my birthday party. And so there was like this whole manipulative, like guilt trip that she was trying to brew. And I was like, it is the day of my birthday party. And this is what this is what you want to do. You don't want to message me and say, hey, have a good night. It was, oh, but what about when you graduate? What about when you get married? What about your 30th? What about when you have children? And I was like, I am 21. I don't, why are we having this conversation? And it was me, 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 me. What about, why can't I do this? Why can't I be there? Yeah. And I should have turned that question around and said, well, why can't you be there? Yeah. 
tell me why you, you can't come. Tell me why you think you might not be welcome at my 21st birthday. Because at that point, my sister Emily had, she'd been in no contact with my mum for almost two years. As soon as everything went down at our house and we lost our house, my sister cut her off completely and was just like, absolutely not. But for her, I know it's hard. Um, she does have moments where, like, she'll tell me that she just wishes she had a mum to call. And I was just like, well, that's never going to be our mum. And it's just, I don't know. And that's why I still, to this day, will be like, I don't understand people who can just, like, pick up the phone and be like, hey, mum, what are you doing? But then I realise I do that with my dad anyway. Like, I'll call my dad midweek and be like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm literally about to get in the shower. I'm like, anyway, so. And then 20 minutes <laughs> later, he's like, I w- can I go get in the shower? And now I'm like, oh, sorry, dad. And I think I realised that for me for a long time, there was a lot of weirdness because so much weird stereotypes and stigma get put on like daughters having really good relationships with their dads and there's not a real big promotion and like positive message about how well like daughters and dads can be best mates like my dad and I go to we go to concerts together we go to the AFL together um I go and sleep over at his house like we just do normal shit that like a mum and a daughter would do yeah and I'm exactly the same. Or I was exactly the same. I was much, much closer with dad. Yeah. It's, I don't know. But I'll still always think that it's yucky when people are best friends with their mum. <laughs> like, always. I'll be like, ew, why is your mum calling you? But it's totally fine if my dad calls me. <laughs> I love that. But also, I mean, as well, like, I would say as well to be envious of you and your sister's relationship as well. Like, I've never been close with my sister Um We've had a few moments recently where we've had some sort of DMs, but they've been really initiated by me, and we don't. We're just very different people. Yeah, and you know, I'm quite envious of that. And I think how cool it would be to have a sister to be able to call and laugh about our childhoods together <laughs> in that way. You know what I mean? I call my sister about everything. She's probably yeah. like, if I don't go, if I go three days without calling her, I'll get a message like, "You alive? Like, <laughs> hello?" And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, sorry, work." Got, got a bit crazy but um I literally called her on the way home from work today and um I totally forgot to ask she had like a medical thing at the start of the week and I got off the phone I was like fuck I forgot to ask her about that because all I was talking about was myself <laughs> hey it happens it does. Um, I'll text her she'll she'll be okay about it it's it's quite funny I don't know why I just had a real kind of pop into my mind where there's like a partners in bed together and then the guy rolls over and puts his arm around his wife and there's just another person there. With That's sister. <laughs> yeah. It's just you and you're just like, hello. <laughs> Mind you, like my brother-in-law and I have been friends since we were 15. And wow. so that same year, my brother-in-law and sister started dating. So they've been together for yeah, 17 years. That is yeah. so sweet. Nine years married. So... <laughs> got a very long history with my brother-in-law and he, and his family too his mum is like a second mum so I really adore her she's really inspirational and lovely and just a great role model for my nieces so yeah she's really cool I like that's her. just amazing and to have that kind of like energy in the family like as another family member like how, what a cool thing like you know he's you know, been in your life nearly as long as some of your siblings are old. So that's a pretty <laughs> incredible thing. Um, 
But I think like just to kind of look back a little bit, like I really want to emphasize like how traumatic as well to the listeners, like often in domestic violence situations, regardless of who the offender is, the children are always forgotten. They're the forgotten victims. Um, And, you know, you as kids have been moved from house to house and place to place. And, you know, what police reports and things might say more often would be that there would be violence perpetrated against a man or violence perpetrated against the the woman or there would be some kind of domestic thing and they're the people that are in the reports. And it really mentions the ongoing impact of what this lifestyle has meant for you. You know, having to listen to your mother being hurt or your mother hurting somebody, having to listen to the manipulation, having to, you know, endure all of that and have to then unlearn what you've learned as trauma responses to that. It just needs to be overstated to the listeners that that this is a horrible thing that you've had to go through. And, you know, I really just am grateful for you coming on and speaking to this level of what domestic abuse in the home looks like and what it means and the impacts of it. And we can't keep turning a blind eye to family violence. And, you know, children should be the number one thing that we are looking after, yet we see right now the political movements happening to end trans rights, the political movements in in other spaces that are dressed up as caring about children. But really Where are they? Where are they not. in the places that we need you know, kids need them the most? Where's Absolutely. The where's the healthcare? Where's anything? You know, like uh I talked to you months ago about um how I was lucky enough that a lot of the police reports included my siblings and I because my sister and I wouldn't have been approved for victims of crime compensation if that wasn't the case. Like we absolutely wouldn't have. And I'm so grateful because I got to go on a holiday. Thanks, mum. <laughs> There's the dark humour. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Please don't apologize. I yeah, I got to go to America, which like ever since I was a kid was the number one thing I wanted to do. I was gonna move there. And then when I went there, I was like, I'm not moving here. Oh no, it's but that it's was at not 27. What... Yeah. <laughs> at 27, I was like, 17-year-old me was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but um, do you mind actually talking about the victims of crime compensation yeah. process? Because I have mentioned victims of crime compensation on this podcast before. Um I think there are a lot of myths and misconceptions around who can access it, how they can access it, and what it's for. And I really want to address that holiday in a really positive way because we <laughs> have such no, well, we have a, such a yeah. stigma around people receiving compensation. So, yeah, what was your experience with the process and how does it all, all work? Well, I actually did feel really guilty about applying for victims of crime compensation. And then my sister put it into perspective. She's like, what about all those holidays mum was meant to take us on? What about all those clothes mum was meant to dress us in? What about all the books she was meant to buy us? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, this is like reparations in a way for my mother failing me and the system failing me as well. And... um So the whole process, I think I literally called up and requested a form. The website doesn't outline a lot of categories for which you can apply for. Um, But one thing that you do need to look for is like primary and secondary victim. Um, So I was a primary victim of like child abuse and neglect, and I was a secondary victim to domestic violence. 
So they do categorise adult survivors of child abuse as second secondary victims, especially when it's domestic violence. Um, that's not outlined. You won't know that unless you call them and ask them. And um, there is a statute of limitations on it, unfortunately, and I think it's... I think it's a couple of years after you turn 18 or something like that. You would, you'd need to look into it. So I applied at 24. Yeah. And it didn't get approved until I was 26. So I think you have to apply before you're 25 for that particular category. Um, but you, you can literally, if you are a victim of any crime, just call and the people that are there. Um, with victim services, a, a really good guide guides at helping you work out what category you can go into. And then they provide you the information. They tell you the documents you need to request. Um, so I had to give victim services like a whole bunch of permission to access different files for me. Um, and this is why I, why I was saying that docs did say I can come in and see my files um, because they basically would have to get them out to scan in and send to victim services. And so they were like, you can come in and have a look and organise them. And I was like, mm, no, I do not nope. want to see that. No, let the lady at victim services deal with that trauma. Um, that's her job. Uh, I no longer have to deal with this. Um, they contacted my psychologist, who was my psychologist at 10 and then again at 15. And um, she wrote a whole, you know, recommendation and report about the things that she had observed, experienced, witnessed, all that kind of stuff. Police reports were also gathered through victim services. Um, they can get that through, I don't know if it's through FIFO, like Freedom of Information Act or something else, but I know they had access to this information. So there was a lot of information in my circumstance. Like I was quite lucky in a lucky in a sense, not really in lucky in quotation marks, yeah. um, that a lot of it had been documented. And so based on that, um, I received uh, over $20,000 in compensation. It paid for a bit of therapy for me, which is really lovely. I can actually reapply and go through a victim services psychologist. So that is also an option if you're seeking to have therapy for the crime that you, um, you know, experienced. Uh, and that doesn't mean that you can't apply for the compensation either. So it, they do not exclude each other. Um, but yeah, I think one of the the myths is that the only things you can apply for are what's on the website, the categories that are on the website. Um, the forms are a lot more in depth. So once you get the forms, you realize, oh, okay, I see what's going on. You get to name your perpetrators, which would feel really fucking good for a lot of people. Um, it definitely felt good for me. So um as I've said, like, you know, we talked about defamation and my mom and things like that. And I was like, look, my mom was never charged criminally, um, but there's enough documentation about everything that happened and everything that I've said. And it's backed up by compensation claims. So, and paid yeah. out, like successful compensation claims. And so that's why I wasn't too worried about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and I think um, the, the, the one thing that people do need to be certain of is statute of limitations in our legislation. And so whatever is legislated in our, a lot of our um, like sexual assault legislation is usually the statute of limitations in a compensation claim. It just really depends. Like with my case, I had to be under 25 to apply 
because that's where you're no longer a child. Um, and so that like your claims for being a child is no longer substantiated. It's it's a weird, they were like really like trying to pump through mine and my sister's application before we turned 25. Yeah. They were like, Get so through it. let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those those statute of limitations laws are something that I would love to see abolished, especially for yeah. things like compensation. Um but I think it's just an incredible thing to talk about and to yeah. be able to say to people, you know, so many people have said like they were too worried about going through uh, a criminal or a civil thing. They didn't want to get lawyers involved. It's really difficult. This could be a way that you might seek some of your own personal justice. And this yeah. is not funds coming from the offender. Um, but there it's is a victim services. It's all government funded. Um, your perpetrator won't even know. They do not tell them. They never told yeah. my mother. They never told my stepfather. They didn't know a thing. Your your the perpetrator of your crime will never find out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Unless yes. you tell them. So if you, if, yeah, if you have gone through a criminal case, you can still do this. If you have yep. gone through a civil case, you can still do this. Yes. So... This is something that anybody could look into and I really encourage you to 
I really want to have a discussion around removing the stigma of victims of crimes receiving financial compensation and that being an icky subject. Like you're not being rewarded because you went through this. This isn't a badge of honor. (laughs) Yes, it is. It is reparations and it is, it is trying to reimburse you for the damage and trauma that was done to you. It is trying to give you, you know, we talk about equality and equity in so many different ways. This could be an equitable way for you as somebody who has lived through disadvantage, who has had less opportunities of, um, provided to them because your mother seems to be shit. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's putting it mildly. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, you know, even as you were saying and talking through things, I just thought the environment that you would have grown up in was not an environment where you would come and bring your homework home and you would have discussions about your career and future or, you know, political discussions or things that were informed. Like you've you've missed out on a lot in your life. And when we're talking about accessing education, when we're talking about jobs, you know, if you have English as a second language, for example, and you've had this kind of background history, this isn't like giving somebody a leg up. This is giving somebody access to equitable services. And I want to so remove the myth, and this is a myth driven by misogynists, that is women make up claims of crimes to get money. We don't get money. That (laughs) never happens. Nope. You know, Brittany Higgins received money for a a, um, discussion that she had, and she has a receipt you know, that shows that she donated that money as soon as it came into her bank account. And I think we've just got all of this negativeness around it. And I, people often say offhandedly things to me, you know, like I did receive a payout and then they justify it. Yeah. It's like, great. I I think it's wonderful that you've received money. I, because I do not see that as a badge of honor or something that needs to be shamed. I think that's something that is owed to you so that mm. you have the best chance at giving yourself a kickstart and moving on with your life. Yeah, and it absolutely did. I, it paid off some debt that I had at the time. Obviously, it's a lot more thanks to Hex. Um, <laughs> I bought a brand new car, which I like. I I still find sometimes driving around, uh, I still have the same car. Um, I've had it for six years now, so I had it since I I, I paid for it in cash and I was like oh my god I bought my first new car um and I still find it so surreal driving around that I have my license like that is something I never thought I would ever have my entire life like not until I was at least 15 16 and then after that I was driving hand-me-down cars and that that was fine but me being able to go out and do something that my mum has never done that I never thought I would do and purchase myself a car. I got to go to America with my partner for three weeks. Like things that at the time I probably should have spent my money better. Um, but they that's what I thought was part of my healing process at that time. I paid for yeah. I paid for therapy. Uh, I got misdiagnosed twice. Uh, you know, the good the good fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just the standard, you know. Standard. Standard yeah. misdiag the the two most common misdiagnoses for women with ADHD. BPD and bipolar. Things I was like gonna say bad. you were diagnosed with BPD, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I went home and I was like so hyperfixated that I'm like, oh my god, I have borderline personality disorder. 
And I was like researching it. And all the things that I resonated the most with were ADHD symptoms. Like, like impulsivity and emotional dysregulation and like the things that are clearly ADHD. But I was like, oh my God, I I have BPD. So for like six months, I thought I had borderline personality disorder. Lucky you had the extra cash there so that you could pay them more to re-diagnose you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad I spent that money. (laughs) It's a rot, I tell you. Um, I went to my new therapist and she was like, Kat, um, you have ADHD. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. It's only ADHD. (laughs) I can deal with that. That's a spicy brain. But no, it's good. there's so many people in my life that have gone through that and especially people who are going through trauma responses. And what kind of brain would you have, honestly, if it wasn't affected in any way by trauma? Oh, and, I don't know. you know, there are some people who experience so many different symptoms and there are some people who experience nightmares, sleeplessness, yeah. regressions in their age from dissociations. Like there are so many different spectrums of things. And I think the core of it, we just need to go back and take women more seriously and listen to yeah. what they're saying and not put women in boxes as being crazy. Um, I mean, I and- am crazy, but not that box of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> Yeah, the exactly. ADHD thing, when you said the object permanence before, and I was like, that's something I really find difficult. Oh, Maintaining contact with friends is really, dif- yeah, really, my really partner, difficult. Um, my partner tours a lot. He's in a t- he's a touring musician. And, like, he used to go to America and I'd forget that he was gone. <laughs> and he'd, like, oh, no. face, like, he'd be like, you ready for a chat? And I'm like, oh, shit. Um, yeah, sure. Give me, like, two minutes. I forgot that you were, like a lot like around I forgot yeah. you were a person and he thinks it's so funny and it is though kind of and it it's kind of like funny. a really good thing like you're not sitting there with like this longing desire and really missing oh, no. him you're just like people yeah no. your life goes on it does and I mean like when I do think about him while he's overseas I'm like oh I do miss him a little bit like we could have been at the movies or you know going out for dinner or something like that and so when I do tell him I miss him it's genuine and I think that he appreciates that yeah, that's really sweet. 100%. But yeah, I think it's really cool that you were able to go on a trip together, you know, where you were able to live with some financial independence. I remember uh, my victims of crime compensation was $10,000 and that was provided to me at the age of 15, I believe, when he was sentenced. Yeah. I don't know if I had to make a separate thing because it went through the courts and he was obvious. I think it was filed on my behalf because, and honestly, it I don't know. It was because you were under 18 that they would have been like, hey, let, let us take care of this. Yeah. So I don't know if it was the courts or the police or my parents. My parents and I have never really spoken about any of this stuff, so yeah. I'm not really sure what they did behind the scenes. I do know that I, my victim, sorry, I do remember that my victim impact statement was used as evidence, as an attachment to it. The $10,000 wasn't released to me until my 18th birthday. And then as soon as I turned 18, that money went into like an account. Um, And then, yeah, I did the same thing. I bought a car. Yeah, nice. Which is like such a wonderful thing, I think, is, and I don't know how you feel about this, but as people who have experienced trauma, there's something in that you don't have to pay off the car. You've got financial freedom with that. How good is it? And you've got the freedom to leave and move yeah. and sleep Be somewhere if, should you ever should you ever need to. Like there's something yeah. about security and having a vehicle that is really powerful. Mine does resemble um, a 
trash can at the moment, but I do love I do love it. I do love him. He's 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 done me a solid the last couple of years, so Yeah, I love that. There's always something in my life that's a trash can. Yeah, it's my bedroom at the moment. You can't see that bit, but it is. <laughs> I know where everything is though. So my partner is like a minimalist neat freak. And he I swear he goes into like panic mode every time he enters my room. He's just like, what the fuck has happened in here? And I'm like, well, I know where everything is. So let's not yuck my yum right now. Absolutely. You know, if there's somebody like, oh, do you have any sunscreen? Like, yeah, it's behind the third um picture frame on the second shelf. Like, why is it there? Like, I just remember seeing it there a while ago <laughs> and I didn't <Yeah>. move it. <laughs> Mine's currently in I bought like these cubes from Kmart and it's just full of shit. It's like all my cosmetic stuff. So like deodorant and perfumes and stuff. But I know my sunscreen is in there. If it's not in there, it's actually in a backpack that's hanging on the back of my door. So I know it's there's definitely one in I've got like four sunscreens. So yeah, because like the time that you actually really do need it, you forget it, and then you have to buy a have new to buy one. Buy a new one. <laughs> it's like you know my soul. Ah, oh, oh, and I yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't want to function any other way. I feel like dexamphetamines will stop this this whole chaos that I am. When I took them, it was like, and I just took, got them from my friend who I will not be named, obviously, because whatever. But um, (laughs) honestly, it was crazy. It was like wearing glasses for the first time. Um, You know, I think I will often describe what I feel as like, yeah, you've got 100 tabs open at any given time. You're aware of every single thing on every single tab that you need to do. And you know exactly what's on every tab as well. Yeah. There's that going on and there's probably three tabs with different noises going on. So you've got like a talk show, some music and some clanging as well because you've got some guilt or shame about things that you haven't completed yet. And <laughs> it's a cycle, but I think, yeah, when I, when I, um, when I took Dexies for a couple of weeks, it was really like I was able to tick off some of those tabs. That's how it felt oh like there God. was a clarity. It didn't go away. The things that I struggle with would still be there, but I think it's that constant seeking dopamine and and stuff that was really and you know I can't wait to the the difficult thing for me at the moment is I can't get an appointment with anybody I can't get an, a psychiatrist appointment anywhere yeah. not even on a wait list so I've called up and sent emails to up maybe upwards of sixty different people um, oh and I'm not being able to get in so it is getting quite scary and quite dire yeah you know. You start thinking about, do I just buy Dexys on the black market? Like, and that's also a scary thing because you don't want to yeah. be taking these things without a prescription and without knowing um, exactly what it is. And your doctor's oversight as well. Like, this yeah. is it. There's stimulants. They they could become recreationally issues, especially for people who have tendencies to get addicted to things. things so. Right. Like my sister said to me the other day because both my nieces they're both um, autistic with ADHD. And she's like, the one thing I worry about my kids ever doing drugs is that they'll really fucking enjoy them and it'll just spiral out of control. Yeah. And I was like, well, I did. I loved it. I loved it. It was great. And she's like, see, this is the, pro- you are this exhibit A. Yeah. And I think it's having those honest conversations. So when you remove shame from things like addiction, you can open it up to major conversations as well yeah. for people to be aware of these signs and symptoms and have these open t- conversations. But 
I think it's a good transition point. I'd like to loop back just so that we can hear maybe a little bit about where everyone stands at the moment. Yeah. Um, you said that you've got a sixth sibling and yes. that was the one that came from Queensland. Yes. He was born at, in Queensland. Um, uh, like it basically had to be, I think he spent a couple of months in hospital being weaned off amphetamines, which is quite scary. Yeah. Really scary. Um, and then he came back with your mum. She took yeah. the other kids. Where did that all land? Did they stay with her for until they were 18 or? Um, no. Um, my younger brother went and lived. So my sister, Madeline, who's five years younger than me, um, moved in with her boyfriend. So she would have been 17, 18. And she actually took my brother, Ross, with her. And he would have been in like year eight or year nine in high school. So he went to high school. He got to year 11 and was offered a panel beating apprenticeship. So he did that. Um, he is now a courier. He like lives down the road from me. Uh, I don't really see him that often. There's a huge age gap. But there's like 10 years between us. So I'm the weird old sister. Uh, <laughs> my sister Madeline lives with her partner and her three kids. I don't have any contact with her either. Maybe even longer than the last time I spoke to my mum. Her and I just don't get along. And that's fine. We just don't see eye to eye on anything. Um, She literally called me a snob because I went to uni. And I was like, okay, is that meant to hurt my feelings? All right. (laughs) So we just, we don't, we literally do not see eye to eye at all. Um, Yeah. It's like being called woke. You're like, and? (laughs) And? yeah (laughs) she called she called my sister emily a snob for buying a house and emily's like that's just what people do (laughs) like Catherine and i are just doing what people do Catherine went to uni i didn't go broke so i bought a house that simple yeah literally um and then my sister rebecca she is 24 and she's the youngest girl and uh, she actually lives with my mum so at one point, Rebecca was actually living with my sister and my sister was her legal guardian. And then when my sister was like, Rebecca was like maybe 18 or 19, she moved out like with boyfriends and then her own place. And now she's ended up back with my mom. Um, I think the house she was in, like the apartment she was in, they were selling it, like the owners were selling it and she didn't have anywhere to live. Yeah. And at the time my sister was selling her house and was like, well, I can't, you can't stay here. Cause like, I've got shit to do here. Like we're selling the house and there's shit everywhere. Um, and then the baby brother is in year 10 in high school. Uh, he lives with his dad. So my mum doesn't have custody of him either. Um, he is interesting. Um, he is on the autism spectrum. Um, he's in special ed at school. Um, has a, a weird not a weird his hyperfixation is the titanic um that is cool he knows everything about the titanic uh he knows everything about star wars he's a huge nerd um him and i actually get along really well um but once again 18 year age gap i'm just the weird older sister i'm like the weird older sister to all my siblings except emily because we're like Irish twins so like her she was born eight days before my first birthday so yeah everyone else I'm just the weird older sister (laughs) I love that though and what a cool (laughs) fixation like the Titanic I would love to know more about like the Titanic and 
you know, everything associated with it. I saw a small little clip on it the other day with a woman who was a child on board and she said for years afterwards nobody believed that she saw the it snap in half and half of it rise up in the air. And then years later, obviously, they proved that that was true. And because they, they were like, "What? Is, not only is she a girl, but she's a wow. child. What a what a little idiot!" You know, <laughs> she's like, "That's what I saw. Bloody hell! Like, why would I? Why would I make that up?" Yeah, insanity. But like, it was. It's real. Like, that's such a cool thing. Like, yeah, you know. he goes through. I'm trying to remember what else were his interests for a while. He's had. A, he's only had like a couple. So like, but the Titanic has gone on the longest. So yeah. I don't know if I haven't actually seen him since the summer school holidays or maybe the school holidays before. So like October school holidays might've been the last time I saw him. Yeah. But yeah. Um, he, he's funny. He, him and I get along really well. Minus his dark humor. That is actually just racism and sexism, but I've had to tell him, Hey, we don't talk like that. Come on, mate. Yeah. Like, and I think the spectrum as well of, autism can be blurred lines in some of those aspects yeah. sometimes and oh absolutely you know it's just about open and honest communication that's clear and you know but i think it's really cool to hear that he's doing well and that he's got Seems you know doing okay. <laughs> yeah i think that's really awesome and i think you know at the end of the day i think to loop back and and think that you're all in different places and you're all going to have your own different traumas and life experiences yeah. but to hear specifically from you and and what you've been able to do following what you've had to go through and, and the ways that you've been able to do that, I think it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. And to really highlight and give people who are listening to this now some validation in knowing that even if they weren't physically abused, um, even if they were only party to, let's say, some of what you'd experienced in the sense of witnessing abuse to their parent or being yeah. around major arguments on a frequent basis, having the police come over all the time, you know, you don't have to be physically abused or the primary abuse victim in many cases to be impacted. And I want yeah. people to know that, you know, children who've experienced domestic violence don't have to be the ones that are hurt physically. Yeah. And even if you were, you're still valid in having that feeling and, yeah. you know, you're worthy of reflecting on that internally as well because, yeah, it's a horrible thing for anybody to have to go through, especially a child. Yeah, it's taken me a lot of um, work on myself to stop sitting here and going, well, someone has it worse. I'm fine. Someone else has it worse. Because, like, what I went through was pretty fucking horrific, like, thinking and reflecting on it, but um, it hasn't impacted who I choose to be now. Like it's had no, like I'm not that person. I'm not that person when I was arrested. I'm not that person when my, you know, my mum tried to stab me. I'm not that person when my parents separated. And like you said, I, I think I do, I can do all of that in spite of who my mum thought I'd be. Because I really believe, like, she thought I'd turn out a nobody. And to be able to kind of virtually give her the finger, you know, and be oh, like, yeah. sucker, I achieved a lot in my life. Um, yeah. I think that's really amazing. Nice but thank, thank you for coming on and sharing your story and, and speaking so openly and candidly and sharing all of that information as well about how people might be able to access some compensation um, and yeah. engaging on that discussion with me, I think it's something we need to talk about more, which doesn't come up very much. 
Um, yeah. And I'd really like to continue, you know, if anybody wants to have a conversation with me specifically about that as well, or if anybody would like some advice, then just shoot me a message or send me an email and we'll be able to get some resources to you. But we're going to also pop some links in the show notes for this episode, especially for the New South Wales um, Victims of Crime Compensation. I think Victoria's financial assistance scheme, which is going to replace the VOCAT process, is going to be underway soon um, if it's not already. I have a feeling it's going to be implemented at the end of financial year. So um, if you are Victorian and you don't have time pressures to get something in, you might be better off waiting for the financial assistance scheme to come through. I think it's a much better system from what I've heard from fellow advocates. So we'll see what (laughs) that looks like. But. But yes, thank you so much, Kat. Was there anything you wanted to go over before we wrap up? Um, I just want to add that um, speaking so candidly on things is because I disassociated from a lot of what went on. So I'm very factual about the things that I experienced. Um, I just don't want anyone to um, misinterpret how I speak about things. That's all. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think when you relay things sometimes they'll be laughter sometimes it'll be factual but just because you're not crying the whole way through this discussion does not mean that it wasn't impactful yeah Um, i've already cried over it sorry everyone (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're in our laughing period you know what i mean and i think that that's an iconic period to be in i thought i could um oh absolutely i thought i would share though um (laughs) a really embarrassing story quickly Oh, no. I think about it a lot. Um, I used to work with um, people on the autism spectrum uh, and it was one of the most rewarding and wonderful jobs. Every single person is so unique and so different and there was this one person I worked really close with and she has this love of like K-pop and um, anime and all of those different types of... are you working with my niece? Because you've just described my niece. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, she, she's an amazing artist. Like, so we would have to stay back at work late often. This is during COVID. There was a lot happening and we were actually like running a whole operation. It was amazing. Um, and I was trying to relate to her. So I was like, let's put some K-pop on, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know what any of these references were in any way. Like I'd never listened to K-pop. We ended up putting One Direction on, which I love. Um but also, like, I was trying to talk about, like, anime and stuff like that and all these, like, Japanese culture things. And I was just trying to ask questions because obviously she wasn't that into chatting with me like that. And I'd heard the word hentai on, oh, no. <laughs> on a Ruby Field song. So I just said, oh, yeah, like, hentai. And she just looked at me like. Oh, my God. That is she, like, she, like, awkwardly gave me this half smile. I was like, um, I guess, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, that was an odd response from her. And as I was walking home, I was like, I wonder what that means. And I was looking it up and I was like, oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> sometimes really I think it, in it. Sometimes I think about that when I'm alone and I, <laughs> you know, when you ever just like think about something that you did and cringe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, mine was really recent. Um, I have uh, audio uh, processing issues, like a massive delay. And um, 
I, I just have like a sensory processing, like visual, audio, I'm out. Like if I'm overwhelmed, I'll just give you a what the fuck look when you're talking to me. And I was taking photos at a gig and the tour manager came over and tapped me on the back because there's usually like a three song limit um, where they'll let photographers like into the pit to take photos. And he's like telling me like three songs. And I just looked at him and went, what the fuck? Because I hadn't processed anything that like he had said, he had visually shown me. And I was like, oh, and so, like, I still cringe over it. And I went over to him and I was like, look, I'm so sorry. I have heaps of, like, sensory processing issues, like, especially audio and visual. Like, I'm, I just, it took me a while to realize what you were saying. And he's like, okay. <laughs> oh, no. You're, like, looking at him, like, blankly. And he's, I was just like, fuck off. Cause I didn't know what he said. <laughs> It's like my brain hadn't buffered it out yet. And I was just like, oh, fucking hell. I love this. That's what he said. <laughs> yeah. We need to, like, start a segment of the things that you think back on and cringe about. <laughs> There's so many. Like... Mine was only last week. And I was like, <laughs> it's, it's still so fresh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Look, at least you didn't say hentai. Like, <laughs> True. I'm so glad I didn't. Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm not saying what it is. <laughs> I'm not going to say what it is. Everybody go Google it and make sure that your privacy settings are on. <laughs> yeah. And don't anyway. Google image search. No, no. Just no. a dictionary search it. Yeah. Kara yeah. <laughs> listened to the Ruby Fields song that mentions it. So you can understand. I thought Ruby Fields oh, would do me a solid. I was trying to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up with the kids lingo. Oh, no. I hope my niece never mentions that word to me, thinking I don't know what it means. If she does, please call me. I will be like, it happened. It happened. Iconic, iconic. I love that. But, Kat, thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a good chat. We've chatted about so much stuff, but... Um, first and like foremost, like definitely thank you for coming on and sharing your stories and your experiences. I know it's going to help a lot of people. Um, and you know, if there's, uh, links to connect with you, Kat, we'll pop them in the show notes for this episode as well. You can always connect with me through any of the social medias. We've got at madheat underscore at the reclaim, at reclaim me pod, um, on the Instagrams, it's at madheat on Twitter. You can get in contact with me via my email, which is on all of the links. So there's everything that you can do there as well. So if there is a guest um, that you want to ask a question of, that you want to send feedback to, any of those things, you can do that via those methods as well. And I'll be able to connect with them too if for some reason you can't find them. So thank you for listening and thank you, Kat, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 